I want to tell you one of my flaws. You know, I, I often equate leadership with having a quick decision. Okay? Somebody tells me something at work, boom, I make a quick decision. But you know what? That's not always the best decision. Okay? That's not always the most excellent decision. And so what Scripture is telling us is that we can approve. That just means to analyze. We can approve, we can analyze what the best and most excellent way is in every decision of our life. I need that in my life. Because I make a lot of bad decisions. And many times the Lord, when, when love is abounding in my life, He tells me to slow down. He tells me to pray. He tells me to seek out what is the most loving, what is the most blessed, what is the most excellent thing that you can do in this situation. It's really slowed my decision processes down. But that's a fruit that we can always be able to discern the most excellent way in everything we do. John MacArthur has a quote about this passage. He says, The excellent things are all of the truths, attitudes, thoughts, words, and deeds that are the expression of God's will for the believer. They are the elements of sanctified holy thinking and holy living. When love abounds in our life, we can walk through life being able to discern what is best. We can have a better choice of words. So many times I have communication problems with my kids and with my wife. God tells me here, if love is abounding in my life, I can choose the best words to say. I can have the most excellent way of communicating with my sons. I want to tell you, that's a wonderful fruit of, of abounding love, is this idea of being able to discern not just good things, but the best and the most excellent things. Another fruit of, of this abounding love, Paul says, is that we will keep ourselves pure and blameless. Your translation may say pure. I actually don't really like the, the choice of that word because it's not talking about moral purity here. Uh, the, the better translation here is the word sincere. That abounding love keeps us sincere and blameless. Let me explain this word sincere to you a little bit. In ancient Rome, there was a lot of need for pottery makers. And so a pottery maker would, would make his pottery. I'm not an expert, by the way. Uh, they would make their pottery and they'd put it in an oven and they would pull it out and they would let it cool. And a lot of times that pottery would develop cracks in it. And... Um, dishonest pottery makers would try to cover up those cracks. And they would take a dark wax and they would spread it over the cracks. And so people got wise to this. And so what they started to do is they would test the sincerity of the pottery. You know how they tested the sincerity? By holding it up to the light. And that's what the word means, uh, sincere. 
It means to hold up to the sunlight. And they would hold that pottery up to the sunlight and they could see those fractures in the pottery. And so what Paul is saying is that when you have a love that abounds, you're a person without fractures and cracks and broken pieces in your life. I don't know about you, but that sounds really good. Because I experience a lot of brokenness in my own life all the time. But when love is abounding, God is able to take those fractures away. So it keeps us sincere. It keeps us genuine. We're not a fragile people. You know, I'm so... I guess I'm just from the old school, but I think we baby our kids a little too much. How many of you agree with that? (laughs) You see all the Facebook messages about what it was like back in our day. I love those because that's, that's so true. Abounding love is not a weak thing. It's not a fragile thing. It's a strong thing. Or we live our lives in a very sincere, genuine way. The other fruit is that we're blameless. This, this word just, it, it's just amazing to me because it means to not stumble or not give offense. I know that so many days in a row that I just stumble and stumble and stumble. But Paul says, listen... If, if love abounds in your life and it rules in your life and it's a part of your knowledge base and it's a part of all your decision making, you're going to walk around in a blameless way, not stumbling through the dark. We're also not going to lead others to stumble. That word is twofold. We walk in a blameless way. We're not, we're not in habitual sin. We're not caught in habitual sin every single day. And we're not leading others into that sin. We're people of integrity. That's what Paul is is praying for the Philippians. That's what my prayer is for me and for you guys today. That we would be people that had abounding love. And this love would rule and reign in our life. And we would experience the fruits of this love. The third fruit that this produces is that it says that we will abound with all the fruits of righteousness. Now, when we think of fruits of righteousness, we automatically think about uh, the fruits of the Spirit. And that would, be a, that would be a good guess. But the fruits of the Spirit, that's not a, that is not a, a full list of the fruits of righteousness. But it's a good list. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 says, But the fruits of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. But do you see how it starts off with love first? You know, in 1 Corinthians it says that love is the greatest of all spiritual gifts. Love is supreme. And then here in the, in the list of the fruits of the Spirit, love is preeminent. It really is the springboard for all of the other fruits of the Spirit. You know, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that I can have 
a mind that can discern all mysteries. But if I don't have love, I'm nothing. So love is the springboard for all of the other fruits of the Spirit. You know, the book of Philippians, if you ever read in the, in the front of your uh, study Bibles, uh, you will know that the book is, is commonly called the joy book. Paul uses the term rejoice or joy 29 times in four chapters. Okay, it's pretty obvious that it's a book about joy. But right here at the very beginning, he prays for this abounding love to be in the hearts of the Philippians. Again, that love is the springboard to joy. So if I'm going to have joy, if I'm going to have all of these other fruits of the Spirit, I need love. I need an abounding love in my life. Now, Paul's desire for us in this prayer is that that we would have that love. You've seen some of the fruits. But it's real interesting if if you move on in the chapter to verses 12 through 18... Paul is going to tell a little story about himself. Paul is, is, is going through some trials and he's going through a situation in his life. And, and uh, it's really interesting. He prays this prayer about abounding love. And then he gives us a little snapshot into his life. You know what that snapshot teaches us? It teaches us everything that he just prayed. You see, Paul was not a person that just talked the talk prayed the prayer. He's a person that lived out what he taught. That is so important. And I want to tell you, I think that really is the key to Christianity, is having this abounding love in our life. We really live out what we say we're going to live out. That's been one of the most challenging things as we've looked at this study for the last year and a half. As we've been taking all of this scripture and we've been applying love to it. And I want to tell you, it gets you up off the couch. It is effective in your life. And so Paul is going to share with us a little bit of his life story. But all of his life story is going to go back to that prayer. He's going to be the object lesson for us. Look at verse 12. We're going to read 12 through 18 together. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here in defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice." So we see a little snippet of Paul's life. And we're going to say, hey, Paul, you're going through some rough times. Does your life match up to that prayer that you just prayed for the Philippians? Most definitely does. You see, there's a lot of confusion 
in this particular story about what's going on in Paul's life. There are some people that are greatly confused. You know, it was pretty obvious from other letters in in Scripture that Paul wanted to go to Rome. He desired to go to Rome. He wanted to do what he normally does, and that is come into a town and go to the synagogue and preach the word of Jesus at the synagogue. He wanted to go into the, into the streets and preach to the masses like he did so many times. And he wanted to, to see those dignitaries in Rome and be able to preach the gospel and have debate with them. Do you know what happens when he gets to Rome? He's placed under house arrest. Now, house arrest is not like being in, in a maximum security prison. But he was confined to a small house or a small apartment. And at that small house and an apartment, he was chained to a Roman guard. And every so often they would rotate off. So every single day he's chained to a Roman guard. Night and day. Now he was free to have visitors. And many people would come and would visit Paul. But this has stirred up a bunch of confusion. Paul, the great preacher, comes to Rome by the will of God and is put in prison. Doesn't sound like a good story, does it? But I want you to to see something. Paul knows what's going on. Other people are confused. Paul knows what's going on. There are three groups of people that interact with Paul in this story. The first group, we don't know a lot about, but there was obviously some people that Paul was concerned with. These were the defeated Christians. These were the ones that from a distance saw Paul and they were saddened that he was in prison. They were saddened by his confinement. They thought that his confinement meant that the gospel was not going to go out. They saw it as a huge defeat for the gospel. The second group, I call these guys the the detractors. Detractor means to criticize, to backbite, to belittle, uh, to slander. That's what a detractor is. These, these, uh, this other group, the detractors, they were fellow preachers. They were probably believers in Christ. And you know what? They saw Paul's situation as God's judgment on Paul. It was a belief that Paul was actually being judged by God for some sin in his life. Or maybe God was bringing Paul's ministry to a close. And so they were using this situation to advance themselves. And they stirred up trouble for Paul. They were confused about what he was doing in Rome. But listen to what Paul says. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. You see, Paul... Trusting in the Lord, abounding in love, is able to see his circumstance, his negative circumstance, in a lot different way than maybe you and I would see them. He's able to say, listen, I know it it wasn't as I intended it to be. 
I know you might think that it's that, that, that God's shutting my ministry down, but I know what's going on. And God is working. And He says, what has happened to me is really serving to advance the gospel. This word advance is, is, is an interesting word. It, it speaks of a, a, a group, a part of the military that would go ahead of the larger group. And they would hack down all of the vegetation and the undergrowth so that the large group could move through smoothly. Paul says, you know what? I may not be able to preach to the masses like I so desired to. But you know what? One day at a time, one guard at a time, I am hacking through the undergrowth. It's not the best situation. Guess what? God is advancing the gospel through me. And there was great success. It says that, uh, that, it, that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. <clears throat> Your translation may not say imperial guard. It may say praetorian. Uh, imperial... It doesn't really matter. But there was about 10,000 praetorian in the city of Rome. They were kind of like the secret service. They were the special forces. And you know, the Romans probably put Paul in this imprisonment because they did not want him stirring up the masses out on the streets. So they put him in this confinement. And he's confined and he's chained to one guy every single day. But you know what was happening? Paul wasn't really chained to that guard. That guard was chained to Paul. And that guard got to see Paul every single day share the gospel. He got to see him in the confinement. And he got to see his love and his encouragement. And these praetorian guards, these elite forces, were coming to the Lord they were free men. They were strong men. They were alpha males that were coming to the Lord. And then they were leaving after their shift. And guess where they were going? They were going back into the streets. And they were going back to the dignitaries. And they were moving into all of the areas of Rome. And they were telling people about this man named Paul. And they were telling people about salvation in Jesus Christ. It also says that all the rest. This is, this is bizarre. It says all the rest of the people in Rome knew that my imprisonment was for Christ. You see, Paul wasn't a prisoner to Rome. He was a prisoner. He was a servant of Jesus Christ. And may, why it may not be the perfect situation that Paul had in mind. He could discern God's most excellent way. Paul's living out that prayer. He can see the most excellent way. Look at Paul's, the way Paul reacts um, so blamelessly and so sincere uh, with these detractors. <clears throat> you see, these detractors were stirring up trouble for Paul. And I want to tell you, Paul is writing under the inspiration of Scripture here. 
And to me, it seems like Paul has the right to blast these guys. To just tear them up. And go, you guys are in trouble. You're in sin. I mean, think about what these guys are doing. These guys are saying that Paul's finished. Paul's under judgment. Paul is a nobody. Paul's words aren't powerful. Ours are more powerful. Okay? These are obviously immature Christians. They, they haven't been around as long as Paul has been. But Paul has, to me, it seems like he has the right to just blast these guys. But I want you to look and see what he says. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And because of this, I rejoice. Where it says, what then? It'd be translated, what then should I say about these guys? Or your translation may say, what does it matter? Paul says, what, what do they matter? What do I have to say about them? I really don't have anything to say about them. But what is right? See, Paul takes the high road. Again, many of these guys that were preaching against Paul, they were true believers. They were preaching in pretense. What that means is that they were preaching out of false motives. Their motives weren't pure. They were, in a, they were jealous of Paul. They were in a rivalry ministry with Paul. Paul says, I, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. What, what do I have to say about these guys? Here's what I have to say about them. Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. These detractors were not detracting from Paul. He was going to live a blameless, sincere life. No matter what. You know, there's a third group of people that Paul affected in this situation. They were the brothers that were going out and, and, and being more confident by Paul's imprisonment. It says that they were bold to speak the word without fear. So you've got a group of preachers looking at Paul's situation going, my gosh, he's making the best of it. He's advancing the gospel in a confined apartment. Man, we ought to be able to do something because we're free to move around. So you've got the praetorian that are coming to the Lord. You've got all of these other people that know that Paul's in prison. They see how he interacts with these detractors. He doesn't, he doesn't, take, his, he doesn't take his pound of flesh from those guys. He says, Christ has preached. The gospel is the most important thing. And that attitude, that abounding love affects this other group of guys. And they go out and they preach Boldly, They preach confidently. In verse 16, look what it says. It says, the latter do it out of love. Where do you think they got that love example? They got it from the Apostle Paul. This other group, this third group that's confident, preaching the gospel, they're doing it out of love. They're motivated out of love. All of their knowledge... Their knowledge base, all of their decision making flows out of love. And it says that they know that Paul was put there in defense of the gospel. You see, they have discernment. They have discerned the most excellent way. And let me tell you how this is going. Paul is in confinement and he is hacking away at that undergrowth. He is smoothing the way 
for all of these other guys to come in. And they are taking Rome over for the gospel. That's what abounding love looks like. Paul has the fruits of righteousness flowing through him. And he shows us that he is sincere. We hold him up to the light. And we don't see any fractures in that vessel. We see a guy that's sold out to the gospel. We see a guy that is abounding in love. And he has the fruits of that love evident in his life. What happens if we held ourselves up to the light today? What happens if we hold ourselves up to the light, to the sunlight, and we examine ourselves? What, 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 what will we see? Can we be joyful in a bad circumstance? Can we abound in love when things aren't going our way? How would we handle that? You know, Paul came in and was this apostle to the Gentiles, got to go wherever he wanted to go and and travel and do things, and he was free to move around. Now he's in confinement. What happens when that story becomes our story? Our ministry changes. Maybe you're over a certain program or, or a certain ministry. What if God changes that? Will we still be that loving people? Will we still be ones that are sincere no matter what happens to us? Will we trust in God's sovereign plan for our life? Will we be able to discern? That's what I worry about. I worry so much that I'm not even going to be able to discern. God, I've got to stay in your love so that I can discern what's going on. If you bring changes into my life, you know. I go to work every day expecting a certain amount of things to happen. And if something throws my day off, I, a lot of times I freak out. I don't want to live that way. You know, there's so many people in the church that are discontent with their, with their role at church. I want to tell you this. Every part of the body is valuable. Every part of the body is valuable. And we do not tell our congregations that enough times that every part is valuable. I want to tell you that I stand on the shoulders of men that hacked the undergrowth. And I walk through in a very smooth way because of their work. Their work is valuable. Your work is valuable to the Lord. You've got to be able to be joyful and abound in love in whatever area that God calls you to. How do you look in the light? How do you deal with detractors? You might ask yourself, are you a detractor? I'm going to tell you this, I've been a detractor in church. I've been that person that's that's tried to stir up trouble for people. Because I wanted to elevate myself above someone. How do you deal with them? Or are you a detractor? Let me tell you this. Detractors are going to be a part of every church. 
You know what they are? They're just immature believers. They like to stir up trouble. They like to gossip. They like to backbite. They haven't had enough life experience. Do you want to fight back with those people? Do you, do you want to speak your peace to them? Or do you want to take the high road? I'm going to tell you what a lot of churches need. They need men and women that take the high road. Because you know what taking the high road does? It leads some of those detractors to be followers. It leads some of those detractors to, be, to being people that are abounding in love. If we just slug it out with our fellow brothers and sisters, it paints an ugly picture. How do you look held up to the light? Are you, are you filled with the fruits of righteousness? If, if love is not a priority and a foundation in your life, you're probably lacking. How do you look? I want to be filled with the fruits of the Spirit. And I'll tell you this, that I struggle. I struggle with patience. I struggle with gentleness. Without love, I can't have any of those things. That's what I seek. That's what I, I want to look up and I want to see an unfractured piece of pottery. Do we look sincere? Well, I've got some good news for you this morning. God can make the fractures disappear. You know, those Roman pottery makers, they, they tried to mask it over with some wax. The good news today is that God can make those fractures disappear. He can make those broken pieces whole again. He can restore you today. I want to tell you this morning, guys, I... I haven't spiritually arrived just because I'm preaching today. I haven't, I haven't spiritually arrived I'm just like you are. I want the blessings of God in my life. I want His love to abound in my life. And if we are to do that, we've got to align ourselves with Him. We've got to follow Christ's example. Next week, we're going to look at Christ. That's all we're going to spend time on next week is looking at Jesus, looking at his life. I want to tell you today, he can make you whole. Paul says that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. With that in mind, 1 John 1, 7 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. This morning... If you're broken, you can be made whole again by confessing your sin and coming to Christ. If you're a person that's never trusted in Christ this morning, I want you to know something. You can be made whole today. We love because God first loved us. And if you haven't experienced His love, all you know is brokenness. And I would encourage you and plead with you, plead with you to be made whole today. Let's pray. Father, I, 
I don't know what to say, Father. You know my heart. Father, I want to see an abounding love in my own life. I want to see an abounding love in the church's life. Father, you have told us that the church is the vessel that you're working through. Father, help us to be a people. That when other people see us, when the world sees us, they see that we're a disciple of Christ because we look nothing like this world. We have an abounding love that is so peculiar that it draws people in. Father, your love is so amazing. That's what drew us in. I pray, Father, that uh, we would just follow your example. Father, I love you. And Father, I pray for the ones today that want to be made whole. No matter where they're at in their spiritual walk, you are able to, to mend the broken pieces. Father, make them whole today. In Jesus' name.